Guys, we're honored to welcome someone who is a very resilient individual, very determined, and nothing short of inspirational. Diana has faced the hardest of life challenges from surviving human trafficking to enduring the pain of widowhood. But she's not just a survivor. She's a powerhouse. <laughs> That's right. And she's, a f uh, she's not just a survivor, she's a powerhouse. She's a former C-level executive, an innovative fashion designer, a dedicated bodybuilder, and an expert in skincare. Her achievements don't stop there. She currently holds the title of Miss Chicago American Nation 2021. With a life rich in experiences, when Diana decides to do something, she does it big. Mm. Now gracing the world of podcasting, let's dive into her incredible journey. Welcome, Diana. Thank you for having me, Saeed. It's a pleasure to have you, Diana. And I want to start off with, with a quote. Mm. Your, okay. A quote from one of, your, like, one of your stories. You described yourself by saying, you always want to feel empowered. You want to feel beautiful and you want to feel sexy. Mm -hmm. What can yeah. you tell us about that? I think that women are programmed at an early age that being all those things are bad, you know? And for me, I think that I, I've fought to, to really embrace those titles um, and not think that they are mm -hmm. wrong. You know, even despite being in human trafficking, sex work, you know, being abused and having just you know, unfortunate experiences, I think that is a very powerful thing for a woman to feel sexy and empowered. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. If anything, I, I think it allows them to stand out and just to really seem confident. Very true. And what do you tell people that um, when they look at people, they look at women that are trying to look sexy and they're trying to look beautiful, you know, by, mm -hmm. by their clothes or by whatever kind of treatments they're trying to do. And they look at them in a way as if they're trying to show off. Mm. What's your response to that? Well, it takes a lot of work. Okay. So if they want to show off, they've earned that right because it does not come easy for someone mm. like me that, you know, I used to spend like go to the gym, like, you know, twice a day. So I was in the gym for maybe two, three hours a day, you know, I'm putting in the time and the effort to feel that way. And so in, in getting the treatment. So if you go to get facial treatments, uh, you know, or Botox or whatever it is, this is cost takes time and money. So Pete, when you're investing in yourself, I think that you are really showing that you value who you are and it's okay to, to hold your head high and be like, yeah, you know, I, I am this woman. It's okay. I've earned it. You know, I've put the, I've put the time and I put the work in. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I personally am like a total cheerleader for other women. So when I see someone like that, I like, oh, wow, you know, I can respect it because I know the effort it takes to, to be at that level and to look that good and, and just to be put, put, put very well together. It's a very fair point. And to be honest, the, the way I see it is when a person is working on themselves, it's just natural sometimes that it's not they're showing off in a way. It's just their confidence starts to yes. kind of like splurge out. You know? yes. mm -hmm. it, just, it just comes out of you and you, you want to share it. And it's not by choice. It just naturally happens. Yeah. Because when you're confident, you just start want to like, speak louder you yeah. wanna, you know you want to shine a bit a bit more and you just naturally stand out it's mm -hmm. just how it works it's the same for a man 
Let's say a man like, you know, he was kind of shy and through school, maybe a little bit overweight, didn't get the girl, didn't get any girl's attention. As he gets a little bit older and starts investing in himself, going to the gym, eating right, shedding those mm -hmm. extra pounds, taking a little bit more care of himself and starting to get attention from women, he's going to radiate that confidence too. And so it's just, it works the same for male, for men and women, you know, it's just, it's just about if you are investing that time and knowing the sacrifices that you're making to look that way and to be that person. Because self-improvement is an, a lifelong journey. And just because you are looking better, you're radiating and shining this bright light does not mean that it's a bad thing. 100%. And also this, this confidence that comes out of you can also have like a trickle-down effect. Mm -hmm. It can in a way like influence others so that they can have that confidence they can not necessarily leech from you but they can learn from you and yes. then they can have that confidence and that energy level that you have and start exhibiting it because they start they start picking up on the nuances and the small techniques that you're doing the small like movements body language yeah speech all of these little things, they start picking them up and start using them themselves. Because in the end, we're all social creatures and we yeah. learn from each other. Yeah. And that's how we got, that's how we all like elevate. We learn yes. from each other. Agreed. I totally agree. Well, I mean, just think about it. Who inspires you? I think everybody has someone that has inspired them or has made an impact in, in their life. Mm -hmm. So if you are going around and you've built yourself up and you've Put a, did all this work on yourself, whether it's self-improvement mentally, physically, emotionally, and you are like your star is rising and you're just emanating this beautiful energy around you, you are becoming an inspiration for someone else. So if there is someone that you looked up, looked up to and that made an impact on your life, there's no reason why you can't do that for others as well. 100%. And I want to ask you a question about the hidden power behind dressing to impress. So, you know, I've always, when I was little, I used to dress up in my grandmother's clothes and her heels and her hats and everything. And my mother always dressed impeccably for work. You know, she always just like very well put herself, put herself together very well. I started garage sailing at a very young age and I used to like cut grass and I used to babysit and save my money. And then I'd ride my bike to the fashion, the, like the, at that time, I think it was fashion outlet in Wooddale and, and that's in Illinois. And, um, I would buy these really beautiful dresses for real cheap. I'm like a teenager in high school and I would buy these beautiful dresses that women would wear to like work, to the office. I would wear them to school. And I remember cause I wasn't very popular in high school. I was kind of like a bookworm, just a nerd, just really like all to myself because you know, I, I was raised in an abusive home. So I wasn't very social at that point. And wearing those clothes really was like a protective shield for me. Like I didn't care if they made fun of me and they're looking at me. It made me feel good. And so as I've gotten older in life and when I've had a bad day, I will just, I, that's when I want to put myself together the most because if I can respect myself and honor myself and to show up, dress up, regardless of the bad day I'm having or the bad conversation I've had or bad news, it, it still makes me feel good. And it's still like that protective shield when I was like a teenager, you know, does that make sense? It does make sense because I understand that. I mean, I'm a bit fruity as well when I have uh, been with my style, 
Like it's I like wearing. the shirt. I, I love the I love the tropical look. <laughs> this is this is the first time I do this uh, this theme for. I like podcast. it. Thank you. <laughs> I was think I was contemplating whether I should wear a pink shirt. Um, pink would look good on you too. I think. I think you pull that off. <laughs> all, all colors. I I'm wearing the old colors in my life. I've worn. I mix and match so many things. Sometimes I just look like a. Um, the the end of a what's coming out of a unicorn, you know how they say you know what? Out of a unicorn. So a man that can wear colors confidently is a real man. I'm sorry, I just I love it. So I think it's good. Keep doing it. Thank you. I'll take the compliment. <laughs> Keep doing you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, obviously, with all of this, standing out with your clothing and also looking good, do you believe that maybe being the center of attention is kind of important to you and is it a tool that you can use as well no i do not like being the center of attention it actually makes me very uncomfortable when i go to mm -hmm. networking events i actually have to have a couple drinks to kind of like relax me to start talking to people <laughs> no because I, yeah. I i was very shy as a little girl like i used to hide behind my my mother's leg i, I i've always been one that will just sit back and listen and not really talk first so you know i'm I'm probably more social and outgoing than I've ever been in my life now, you know, now that I'm more comfortable in my skin and my age and blah, 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 all those things. But no, I don't like being the center of attention. That it's not something that makes me feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. I, I've heard recently something about how you, you know, how a person hides in the shadows. Yeah. Well, especially in like in social events, mm -hmm. I recently heard something about hiding in the spotlight. Mm. Which is which was a very interesting message that was being shared. It's using the spotlight in a way where you don't necessarily are projecting your true self. Hmm. You're maybe using camouflage yeah. or like a certain mask. Yeah. Which is being projected. That makes sense. What I, do you think about that one? That makes sense. I could see that. I don't know if I do that personally at all. I'm, I, I am who I am. Like you, you, what you see is what you get. Some days I got makeup on, some days I do not. Like I'm not really, you know, I'm completely natural today except for a little lip gloss. So I, I think that some people can do that and they can portray like a character to make people think yeah. that they're a certain kind of way when maybe they're really like maybe suffering inside or they're hiding something inside that they don't want people to see. So that makes sense. I mean, psychology is super deep. You know, we could go down that rabbit hole and explore all different angles because we are very complex people. And that's why like being label free is so important to me because we are not just one thing and we shouldn't allow ourselves to ever think that we are one thing because we are constantly evolving and changing and growing. Mm -hmm. And I remember before the podcast, we talked about how you want to be your message is to be about being label free mm -hmm. and focusing more on titles. So for example, the words that I used to describe you in the beginning, they shouldn't be considered as labels. No. They should be considered as titles. Yeah. Maybe you can um, educate us a bit about that. So I think labels are what your parents think you're supposed to be, what you think you're supposed to be, perhaps some trauma that's happened to you, perhaps some abuse that's happened to you, um, maybe something that, you know, someone told you that you are, you're not, you know, like there are many labels can be very prohibiting, can be very destructive. And I, I think that it's a negative connotation 
you know, I know some people think that there needs to be labels for certain things. I disagree. I think that a title does not define who you are. Title's just a title. It's something to describe someone. It's not a label is basically saying who you are. Like, okay, I want you to be a doctor. Your parents want you to be a doctor or I, you know, or you're, you're raised thinking that you're supposed to be married with two and a half kids with a white picket fence, or you're not supposed, a woman's not supposed to work or be confident or speak out. You know, there, th these are labels that people can put on us what their the expectations of what they're supposed to be. Or I could say the label is I've had much abuse, so I'm damaged. I've had, I've been in sexual, I've been human, like human trafficking. So I'm, I'm defective. There's something wrong with me. I should be ashamed, right? These are labels. I think a title is something that can describe perhaps what you've been through or like what your expertise is and not who you are. Okay. And could you tell us more about the labels that you grew up with, the labels that you thought defined you and then how did you overcome them? Well, I think we're all indoctrinated to be a certain way. Like, okay, you're, you're born into this world. You got to follow the religious path that your parents put you on. You've got to, you're expected to get married as a woman, you're supposed to get married and have kids. You're supposed to go to college. You're never supposed to think outside of the box, question authority or question different things that happen in this world. You're supposed to follow the, follow the, 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 the hurt. Right. And I think that um, for me, you know, I was, I, I, I'm no, I have no problem with religion. It was never a negative thing. My parents actually were very open with allowing me to choose what I believe. Um, but definitely like being a strong woman that got into bodybuilding, you know, my mom, Oh, you shouldn't eat like that. You're going to get big. I never, I could not get big. I'd have to take a ton of drugs to ever get crazy big. Like some of those, those massive bodybuilders. So that was something like I, I pursued bodybuilding. I, I loved it. It's a great sport. It exercises discipline, you, you know, I mean, you're just really, and, and just like relying on yourself and being confident. Nobody knows what it's like to get in front of several hundred people almost naked. That's like, <laughs> that's nerve wracking. I mean, so, and also being abused. My father was very abusive mentally, verbally, and it's hard not to carry that trauma with you in life and believe those things. And so of course, because I had that experience, I attracted another abusive man. And that's when I got thrown into human trafficking and sex work and he stabbed me. He abducted me. He break into my home and like, just, it was not a good experience. So I personally had to unprogram or deprogram and go through a lot of counseling to know that I am worthy because when you are raised in an abusive home and your father is treating like this, you don't think that you're worthy. These are damaging and could really ultimately end your life. I mean, I was doing a lot of drugs. This man stabbed me. <laughs> He stabbed me. I'm, I, he abducted me. I fought back. So that's why I'm here today. Or I, who knows? I probably be dead at the, at the bottom of that lake he took me to. So, you know, these are really serious things that happen to people that they carry with them their whole entire life until they say enough. I'm, I am worthy. I'm, I'm valuable. I, I am not defined by those experiences or what anybody told me or did to me. Yeah, that's, it's quite an experience. I mean, I, obviously, I can all relate to that. I have, I obviously had my own labels uh, growing up as well, but nothing similar to you. My labels were simple. It's just like the stereotypical Arab yeah. labels of just either become an engineer, either become a doctor, you know, just stay religious, stay with the family and like 
Yeah. Follow your faith. Yeah. Those kind of things. It's a bit different um, the way my life is life trajectory is going, but in a know, good way. Learn in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like more of more following my path, I guess. Yeah, that's how that's I would good. call it. Good for you. That takes courage. Yeah. It does, but um, obviously, every person has their own traumas in life, and yeah, of course, we. It's just like. It's just something to go through. Yes. You learn from them. I agree. Yes. Yes, we do. Hopefully we learn from them. Some people don't learn the first time. They got to learn it over and over and over again. <laughs> so we pray 100%. for those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, what happens is people have to go through these traumas so that they can learn from them and become better. Mm. But when they don't learn, when they don't learn from them, they tend to go through the same trauma over and over again mm. until eventually they've wake up and they figure it out and they're like, oh, okay, this is supposed to be a message. I should take the sign. Yeah. Yeah. It's And I feel like most people think like when it comes to signs, it's like they, the first thought they have is, oh, it's like if a girl is hitting on me. Yeah. Like, no, there's signs everywhere. Signs in life, signs in relationships, signs in, in business, signs your body, your your mental health. Yeah, all of everything has its own its own signs, its own symptoms, and they can all teach you something. You just have to really listen. Yes, and I feel like that's the most important thing: it's to actually listen. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, one thousand percent. And a lot of people are not really in touch with that, which is really kind of sad. I I probably yeah. am very more intuitive just because of I've cho I choose to be that way, and I want to listen to myself. And, you know, I actually was surprised my, one of my sisters was like, I'm not really that in touch with my body. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't think, I thought because she's my sister, we both have it. Right. But that's not the yeah. case. You know, not everybody is as in tune with themselves and it's important to listen. It really is. Mm -hmm. And, um, Diana, I, I don't know if you want to go deep into this topic, but I do want to ask you a bit about how the the sex trafficking industry works. Mm. I mean, obviously you've had first hand experience. Obviously you can, and you can definitely say no. I'm not, uh, I don't want to hash up a topic you don't want to talk about, but if you're willing, maybe you can share something about it. So, yeah, I am happy to talk about it. And I think that had there been more education early on for me as a young person, it probably could have been prevented. Um, when I finally started talking about this, some of my past, you know, on podcasts and just being open about it, you know, I no, I no longer have any skeletons in my closet. They're all out there. Um, I had done an event against human trafficking in June of 2019, and it took mm -hmm. eight months to prepare for that event. And I, and what I learned along the way is that there are a lot of women out there that have been exposed to some form of human trafficking. And what that means is, uh, sexual abuse by a neighbor, sexual abuse by a family member, um, obviously a boyfriend having you do threesomes with his friends when you don't want to, but he's coercing you into it, um, sell, having a, a man or someone sell your body for sex, um, there, or the, the, what the stereotype is being abducted and sent overseas somewhere and you know, God knows what happens to you. There, these are all different forms of human trafficking. I think that if we as a society was more comfortable talking about sex in general, 
and dis, and and talking about what this means and what can happen to you if you go make this decision, that decision, you know, whatever. That I think that it would save a lot of people's lives and would really kind of bring down that the high, the percentage rate of of human trafficking because it's huge. It's a, it's a huge business. And so for me personally, yeah. it was a bit boyfriend that coerced me. I was 17, very young. I moved out of the house at 17, got me into doing drugs. So I'd never done a drug in my life. I never did it in high school. Like a lot of my friends, I always said no. So started doing drugs, you know, coerced me into doing it. And, you know, I, I was doing sex work for a couple of years and a lot of drugs. And obviously this is the one that he, you know, abused me and, you know, abducted me, stabbed me in the arm. He beat me up in the face. I had to get plastic surgery on my face. And so I, I decided that when he abducted me that last time and punched me in the face and did all that damage, that was it. And it was actually, which is crazy. And I tell people this, I'm this young woman that just had this traumatic experience knowing that it's wrong, but I, my mom forced me to go to court to press charges against him. And I was bawling the whole time in court, even though he did this to me, I, I was so upset to do that to him. Just think about how crazy that is. And it, after that, after that moment, I decided I wasn't talking to him at all for at least 30 days. I didn't call him. I just co completely cut off communication. And I remember like when I had talked to him after that, he's like, you are a diamond in the rough. He then at that point had something nice to say to me, which is so crazy and bizarre. But, you know, it's not, I didn't really have, like, that was just, you know, I mean, that's kind of pretty typical, I think, for a lot, a lot of women, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky to have made a decision to be strong enough to, to get out of it and to just raise my life and my value, self-worth to a higher level. And when he, when he complimented you like that, calling you a diamond in the rough. How did that make you feel? I'm trying to think back because this is so long ago. This is like almost 20 years ago, maybe more than that, more than that. Um, I don't know. I, I just was just like, okay, now you want to say I'm a diamond in the rough. I always knew it, but now you, now you think that I am, you know, and it's just, I don't think it was a manipulation thing. I just think that he was finally seeing that what he lost and, you know, because through all that stuff, I was always very positive, very loving, very doting. I'm, I'm a, I'm like a, I'm a caretaker by nature. I'm, I'm a lover. I'm, I want to serve, you know, I want, I'll serve my man. I'll give you whatever you want. I'll, you know, let me rub your feet at night, you know, all that stuff. No, I, I'm a total, I spoil my men. So I think that he realized what he lost, you know, it was like, oh shit, what did I do to this person? Yeah. And I think it was a, there's a very big message when you were pressing charges as well on him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't do that. I mean, if my mom wasn't there, I probably wouldn't have done it, but thank God she was. Hmm. So you were talking about your personality, how you're a caretaker by choice. I mean, by nature, like naturally by yeah. nature. Sorry. And I know there's another description you've used for yourself, which is um, having a type A personality. Oh yeah. Being, being the first, being the eldest of five children. Yeah. And so f I want to give like m the definition that I've seen of a type A personality, which refers to a pattern of behavior and personality associated with high achievement, competitiveness, and impatience, among other characteristics. You think this defines you accurately? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely a high achiever. I always have to have be going after something. You know, I always have to be excelling and doing something that is getting me to the next level. Um, very, I am competitive. I'm not as crazy competitive where it makes me angry. You know, I don't think that's healthy. I think being a health, being competitive in a healthy way is, is very complimentary to someone, but in my patience, I'm, I've worked on that big time because I think that patience is a virtue and we, in this life, if there's anything that we should all learn is we have no control over anything like control is an illusion. And if you're going to get impatient over something that you have no control over, that is kind of like, to me is like psychotic, like you need to just chill. So that's something that I've had to teach myself, but I still think of myself as a type A person because I like. I like perfection. I do. I like things to be clean. I like to, I hate to make mistakes. I want to be achieving. I want to be accomplishing things on a daily basis. I want to be like, go, go, go. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, so I will always think of myself, but I'm trying to lose the the negative parts of being a type A person. And other than impatience, what do you think are the negative parts of being a type A person? Never being satisfied. I think that's a big, big uh, negative part of that. But, you know, I think you have to value your accomplishments and see where you've been to where you are, you know, in the present and that, and to remind yourself of all the things that you've done. So, yeah, I think that never being satisfied, satisfied is another one. Hmm. It's interesting about the never being satisfied part. Is that what, is that what you think drives people? Yeah. Specific people with the type A personality just yeah. makes them constantly on the go, yeah. have so such high energy. They just want to constantly do something. Yep. Absolutely. Or else why would you? If you've already accomplished so much and you know you're going to keep accomplishing things, if you're, you know, whatever you're working on, you can relax. You can like chill, find your zen and just live in the moment. And so people that are high achievers type A that haven't come to that place yet still have got a lot of inner work to do because you should find satisfaction in, in just daily brushing your teeth. Like, thank you, thank you, whatever your higher being is. Thank you for allowing me to be here today to brush my teeth, to have this peaceful moment right now, have running water and toothpaste. Or, you know, or for me, like when I'm cooking, I, I find so much peace in cooking. Like just to live in that moment and just to, like I'm creating something from nothing, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I think that um, to find that satis find the satisfaction in every little thing that you do is a beautiful thing. I think another way that to describe it is being mindful or, yes. be, or being present. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been trying to practice this myself as well. And one way of doing it is whenever I'm just doing something simple like cooking or even eating or cleaning, I try my best to like, just focus on that task yeah, and keep all the distractions away. Yes. And the main distraction that I try to keep out is my phone. Mm, that's example, hard. <laughs> yeah. So what everyone, when they're eating, they're like, either watching something or they're on their phone or if they're just sitting down in their room or anywhere in their house, they're using their phone. Um, if they're commuting, they're, they're on their phone unless they're driving. Yeah. Um, sometimes what I like to do as a 
to distract me from using my phone is people watching. Yeah. I just study people by, by just watching their actions. And That's their always fun, especially in Vegas <laughs> <laughs> or at the airport. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you have a lot of colorful characters. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Or just, I mean, yeah. Or being, in, I live in Chicago. So, yeah, you see a lot of colorful characters here. What's the, what's the weirdest person? What's the weirdest uh, character you've seen? Oh, my gosh. Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I mean, you just see people doing <laughs> random things or dressing a certain way. You know, I mean, obviously, homeless people that are, lost it they're they're very colorful so i would have to say maybe a homeless person somewhere that i've i've seen i've tried sometimes to have conversations with them like crackheads even mm. just just to see how it goes you know like what i what i tend to do is um i do like instead of just only talking to adults i talk to children as if they're adults oh, yeah. and i talk to crackheads as if they're adults as well um, sober in adults. a sense that sorry <laughs> sober adults sober adults exactly <laughs> you know because in the end the the mentality is, is is of a child yeah and i think for them treating them differently would is would disrespect them and would set them off especially for crackheads <laughs> obviously not children yeah. that's a different story and for them to not get I remember there was this one experience I had on the on the tube, so the underground, where this one guy was just, I don't know what he was trying to say, but first of all, he was just harassing the people around. And then he's, he focused on me mm-hmm. out of nowhere, just like locked eyes, locked eyes at me and just started talking to me in this weird way. It was just like, I know you. And I was like in a very, you know, a crackhead motion. I was like, yeah 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 i know you i know you and then he's like starting to threaten me and he's like oh yikes once we get off the station um um, all his friends are gonna jump me and all that and i'm just like staring at this guy and i'm smiling because i know he's he's just he's not there he's not really there so i was just having i was trying to have a conversation with him but at the same time i'm just like do i really want to like risk it that he might pull something I was just the whole time I was just mentally preparing myself for a fight. Mm. You know, I was my fists were ready and yeah, I was just tensing up everything because the moment I would have seen any kind of movement that I didn't want to see. Yeah, I don't care. I was I was going to punch the guy. I don't <laughs> I had to defend myself at first, but eventually he just, you know, cooled it off. And then he <laughs> out of nowhere, he's just like, ah, bro, I'm joking with you. I'm joking with you. And I'm like, OK good yeah right exactly all right <laughs> escape the bullet there yeah those are not uh, the experiences i usually want but everything else the the other crackheads have been nice <laughs> the other crackheads are <laughs> nice be sure of that other other, other crackheads are nice <laughs> yeah now uh i'd like to take you back to a fashion question and i want to ask you about do you think style has taken a backside to comfort in the in the modern era? I think that there are people that have been privileged with money to create a brand for themselves to to make really bizarre off the wall clothes that people will wear <laughs> just to make a statement. 
So I think that if you are a true style icon and you know value a classical look, you're gonna wear classical things. But if you're someone that just has tons of money to blow on stupid, ridiculous looking things, and I mean, then I guess it's up to you, good for you to be uncomfortable. I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, thank you. So how would you advise people to find their own style? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think to, to, you know, obviously wear colors that make you feel comfortable and wear, you know, pants, skirts, you know, sh shirts that are complementary to your body type. Cause not everybody has the same body, right? I'm very hourglass. Yeah. I'm very Barbie-ish. So I wear, I like to wear tight fitting clothes to show off my curves and there's nothing wrong with that. Cause I've earned them, you know, I've worked hard for them. And, but someone that might be like, just shaped a little bit differently, you know, you, there are different styles that you can wear to accentuate what you have. Everybody's beautiful in their own way. We're all imperfectly perfect. And so there are things that you can do to not look so drab or just look, you know, boxy. It, you know, I mean, there are some people that need help. I mean, in this day and age, we have YouTube, we have Instagram, we have all these different resources where you should have no problem figuring out your style, like figuring out like suggestions on what would fit your body type. If they have any questions to call me, I'll take you on a virtual shopping spree and we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> you just give them a free fashion consultation. Yes. Yes. For free. <laughs> okay. So can I get a free fashion consultation then? No, I think you're looking great. I told you I love the shirt. <laughs> this is In general, what do you think would uh, work on me? So I, I know that I kind of have broad shoulders. So I try to like wear something that shows them off a bit, you know, it's like something yeah. wide shirt, mm -hmm. but like, I really dislike, you know, low collars. Low collars? I like a bit of a high collar. Yeah. Well, I love a man in a classic look. So button-up shirt, nice slacks, you know, like loafers, even like a sports coat. You know, I think that any man looks good in a nice tailored look. So, I mean, you're wearing a nice button-up colorful shirt today and it looks great. I guess, uh, I, guess I found my style then. There you go. Right. You sure did. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't want to take a massive detour, but it is a bit of a detour. Okay. And I want to go into to your husband, to the story of your husband. My late husband? If you don't. Yes, your late husband. Sorry. Sure. Yeah. And um, could you share with us the buildup into how it all, you know, started and went in the middle and then ended? Sure. So I met Rich uh, in my mid twenties. He saw me talking to. He knew some one of my girlfriends that I was talking to at the gym. I had just gotten out of that abusive relationship that I shared, you know, a little while ago. And so I was sitting on you while you were doing the squats. Yeah. No. <laughs> so he told my girlfriend that he wanted to meet me, and I just said no. I didn't want to date anyone for a while. I just wanted to focus on me and just heal and just kind of you know, get back to a good, you know, level-headed place. And yeah. I went, you know, she kept asking me, I kept asking me, I went on, on a girl's trip to California and he ended up sending my girlfriend some, I didn't know who he was at the time, ended up sending my girlfriend some stuff while we were out there. I come back walking into the gym with my sister and he walks up to me and he's a big bodybuilder. He was like 6'2", 330 pounds, all muscle. 
comes walking up to me with his other bodybuilding friend, me and my sister walking in. Oh, how is California? My sister jumped like 10 feet back and I'm looking at him like, who are you? You know? And so then like at that point, you know, he, I went back into the gym. He left. I'm just like, that's a little weird. So the next time I saw him at the gym, I walked up to him. I said, well, this is how to properly introduce yourself. And I said, my name's Deanna. And then he gave me his card and, um, and we ended up like talking on the phone for a long time and meeting for lunch, went through a lot of trauma with him too. He wasn't perfect. He was a man with a lot of money. He was a millionaire. You know, he was married before, had four daughters. He was 12 years older than me. He was actually, and I didn't know this when I started dating him, he was actually engaged. He left his wife for the nanny. So I had to deal with all that nonsense. I ended up breaking up with him. I ended up saying, changing my number, saying, I want nothing to do with you for like a year and a half. He went to rehab because he said he, he had love and sex addiction, went to rehab twice. And when he came back, he was done with the nanny, done with all the stuff. And we started our lives together. I didn't, he had put a ring on my finger for a while. I, you know, he kept asking me for a date. I didn't, we didn't get married until, God, when did we get married? 2010 no 2009 i think 2009 but like we were on and like my whole the whole span of my relationship with him was about 17 years and so we like i got very involved with him in business you know he had one business that when the market crashed in 2008 or the was it 2007 2008 he lost almost everything i stood by his side we restarted i was an integral integral part of his business I ended up closing mm -hmm. several multi-million dollar contracts. Uh, we opened up another installation arm of the business for we were in automotive and we had three real estate holding companies. So I was, we were great. We were a great power couple in terms of business. He had done so many steroids. He had needed towards the end. He needed his third kidney transplant. Um, you know, it was the last two and a half years of his life. He was just in and out of the hospital nonstop. He was still injecting steroids while I was uh, administering dialysis. And no matter how much I fought with him, it didn't matter. He was just, he wasn't listening. I think he wanted to kill himself at that point. Um, and when he passed away in January 2016, it was a pretty nasty um, situation. My, I had four stepdaughters and they just caught, you know, they just tried to destroy me. They wanted me to leave with nothing. Luckily I had a prenup that allowed me to get, and I had, I had ownership in some, in the businesses. So I couldn't walk away with nothing. Um, and I had fought them for over a year in court. I had three attorneys, you know, and at that point I had to really just start my life over. I had a lot of people that were like, how are you even sitting here right now? And just like balled up in a corner rocking back and forth. I'm like, well, you know, like he, I knew he was not going to make it. He had given up. Like he would cry and like, it was like living with a ghost. It like, it was, you know, to watch a man, this larger than life man lose his, his battle with life that just give up when he had four daughters, he had a grandchild on the way. He had me, you know, we had all these businesses. It was like, I mourned him before he passed, you know, I think about him often, you know, I, at that point when he passed, I spent almost half my life with him. I wasn't even 40 years old yet. And so, you know, it's hard not to think of someone, you know, that you had spent so much time with and had such, a, I mean, we lived a huge lifestyle. We would fly private. I had the Mercedes, had the Ferrari, you know, we had the 10,000 square foot mansion. I mean, had all the things, you know, but it just, you know, it, it you know, he's resting in peace now and I'm okay. 
I'm happy. I've I've got remarried and I'm living the I'm living more of the life of my dreams now than I ever have. Because that stuff means nothing if you can't enjoy it. If you're sick and and I'm put in your if you're being pushed in a wheelchair and you're working freaking 20 hours a day and you can't enjoy all the stuff that you work so hard for, it means nothing. It means nothing. Oof, that's that was a very passionate explanation as well of the story. And I'm really sorry for your loss as well, Diana. Thank you. I'm pretty sure it was it was very hard and also the the betrayal from your stepdaughters, that was that should have been tough. No, they weren't very good. They weren't very good girls. They were all about the money. They are they okay. if it wasn't and I know that they blame me for a lot of stuff, but it's not true. If they had not if I not had not pushed my husband, Rich at the time, to see his daughters, to spend vacations with them, they would have never saw him. But I was always the one that like, let's say take them on vacation. Let's go out to dinner. Make sure you call your daughters, you know, or else he would just work, 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 and he would not try to connect with them at all. So I know in my heart that I always did the right thing in terms of making sure he had a relationship with his daughters. You know, I mean, his his oldest daughter was only 10 years younger than me because, you know, he was 12 years older. And so, you yeah. know, I took three of them to get their driver's license. So I was a part of their lives for a very long time. And it's unfortunate how things happen, but that's life. You know, so if you got to move it, you got to move forward. I, I don't, I would never have a relationship with them again because they're just toxic. They're, it comes from the mother, from the ex-wife. The ex-wife was all about the money. She didn't care if he was cheating on her. He, she would just turn the other cheek, let him do whatever, as long as she could live the lifestyle. A lot of women are like that. I personally am not. Yeah. I, I will slap you upside the head. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, it's not happening. Not for me. I'm not that kind of woman. Not at all. Yeah, we can... I can definitely see that. <laughs> Hopefully, um, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is. You know, it's direct and straightforward and completely honest. Yes. Which is good. So, I've heard before on a TED on a TED talk that in a business there's usually the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur, mm. and I wanted to see which one do you think you are before describing anything of that. I don't know what an entrepreneur is. What is that? So obviously you know what's an entrepreneur. Correct. Yes. And from my understanding of an entrepreneur, it is an individual that is more in tune with their emotions and understand other people other people's emotions and they're more I would say more of like the social butterfly of the comp of running the company. So maybe mm. the entrepreneur would be the one who gets the resources and the entrepreneur is the one who does the networking and brings the partnerships. Mm. I would think I, I'd say I'm probably both of those. Both in, of those in my business. Now, how I run my business today, I'm both of those. Yeah. But in the past, I was the entrepreneur. My late husband was the entrepreneur. So even though I did a lot of contract work, he was like, he was, he was an introvert, but when it came to business, he was an extrovert. That makes sense. Like he was all about getting yeah. the relationships. So we were a great complement to each other in business. I mean, we killed it. We were the ultimate power couple. A hundred percent. And the thing is about the entrepreneur, entrepreneur dynamic. I, I really believe that they learn from each other as well. Oh yeah. They sure. pick up things from each other. So 
you say now that uh, in your new business that you're both. Yeah. I feel like you might have learned a few things from your late husband that I, helped you in this new business. I did. You know, I was always very uncomfortable being a self promoter, and the with the last like. Yeah. Was it eight years? It's going to be eight years. Wow, I can't believe it. What the last like seven, eight years have taught me is to really um, refine the way that I present myself and self-promote. Being a self-promoter is not a bad thing. You have to be able to give your five-second elevator pitch and do it, like have finesse, do it effortlessly on the flip of a dime. And that was something yeah. that he had down to a T. And as I've gotten more comfortable and confident in my own skin and building my new life and, you know, just having to start over, I have learned how to self promote and talk about who I am, what I do, and just, you know, do it in a way that's not boastful and not arrogant. So obviously I'm sitting here on your podcast with you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's the confidence that you built up over time to yes. actually step out of your comfort zone and really connect with people yes. because you don't always want to just be by yourself working behind a computer, uh, working on doing paperwork and all that. You also want to socialize no matter yeah. how much of an introvert you think you are, you do still want a, par a part of you still wants to interact with others. Oh no, I'm a total extrovert. I love to socialize. <laughs> I love to socialize. I meet people new all the time. <laughs> I, and it's very clear. We, I can see that <laughs> of meeting you and talking to you, which is, which is very cool. You know, it's um, it's nice to meet fellow people that are willing to socialize and just network in general. Yeah, it makes life that more entertaining, in my opinion. Yes. So, I think my final question would be, how. What is the importance of having a partner when you're building a business? Like, mm. how much does the success of the business rely on having that partnership? And how do you find that right business partner? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. So, I mean, it, it, you just a, a business, a partner in business or a partner in life to help you support you in your business. Like there's two different kinds of partners. So if you don't have a partner, yeah, like, you can answer both. Okay. So <laughs> I was lucky enough to, I'm very business savvy. I have a natural business for, I have a natural talent for business. I always have when, you know, I was raised in an entrepreneurial family, my, my grandparents, my dad, like I was raised around that. So I have a natural skill for business. So I was lucky to have met my late husband and I was a compliment to him. I was a compliment to him. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the other way around. I think my I would have achieved just as much success, if not more, on my own had I not been with him. I truly believe that now, knowing everything that I know. At where I am today, I have a partner now in my life that supports me no matter what. He believes in me. He's my cheerleader. He doesn't try to impose his, anything on me and my business. And he, and he even when I'm, if I'm having a bad day and things are kind of slow and I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? He's like, don't worry, you got this. And he's always right. He's always right. And so that is a great, you need to have a partner. Like if you're an entrepreneur, especially as a woman, oh no, actually it doesn't matter, male or female, you need to have a partner that's going to, in your personal life, support you no matter what. As far as business is concerned, so I have two people that are on my team that I consider my partners. Do they do a lot of the work? No, but they do do their part. 
They are not going to go out there and find the resources. They're not going to go out there and make the connections. They're not going to do any of the things that I do to make sure my business is successful, but they have a key part. And if they don't do their part, it's going to take a lot. It's going to force me to have to do more work and kind of slow things down for me. So you have to have people on the business side that are going to support you and be the right fit for the things that you are not, that you are lacking in. So there are things that I'm lacking in. And so I have people that compliment me doing those things that I cannot do. And I focus on my strengths. They focus, they do their strengths and together it works. That's great to hear. That's, that's an amazing response. Diana, this has been great. Yes, it has. Um, I just want to ask you if you can let everyone know how they can contact you, how sure. they can find out more about you and basically how they can, how can they get in touch with you? Well, you can Google search me, Deanna Radalescu. I'm everywhere, but my main uh, business is I have a, I'm a podcaster too. It's label free podcast. I'm on all the things. And, um, that's just, you can find me anywhere. <laughs> Google search it. You'll find me, um, Instagram, <laughs> the whole, the website, labelfreepodcast.com. You can shoot me an email. I'll talk about fashion. I don't care. Whatever. I'm open. I'm an open book. So feel free to reach out to me. Well, that's great. And thank you guys for watching. This has been A2 The Show. Saeed has been your host with Diana. And this is how we sign out. We salute to the camera and cover the camera. Oh, okay.